Could you turn your Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians? I'm getting close to the end of this uh, epistle. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And I'd like to read verses 1 to 6. Second Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1. This is the third time I am coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time. And being absent now I write to them which heretofore have sinned and to all other that if I come again I will not spare. Since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you would is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Christ, Jesus, sorry, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. So we'll ask the Lord uh, to bless his word to us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that uh, we could never really understand how great you are, uh, but we uh, have that just such a limited knowledge. Uh, Father, as uh, sinners and even a Lord being saved, we know that we fall, fall far short of your glory, but Father, we thank you that you are willing to um, take us into your, into your family. You're willing to share your greatness with us. And so, Lord, we thank and praise you that we can know you as our God. And Father, as we open the scriptures today, I pray that you would help us to understand and uh, perhaps as an application for our heart today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we read, the Apostle Paul was soon to visit the Corinthian church, but he had some serious concerns about their spiritual condition. Uh, he expressed those concerns as a fear, uh, which I looked at in my last message. Have a look in chapter 12, verse 20. Paul said, For I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I would, and that I shall be found unto you such as ye would not, lest there be debates, envyings, wraths, strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults, unless when I come again my God will humble me among you, and that I shall bewail many which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which ye have committed. I can't imagine their business meetings. Uh, wouldn't have been much fun, I'd imagine. It's hard to imagine that this is describing a local church. Now, in my last message, uh, we also saw that despite their spiritual condition, when Paul did finally visit, he said that he would be fair, but he would be firm. Have a look again in those first few verses in chapter 13. This is the third time I am coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time 
And being absent now, I write to them which heretofore have sinned, and to all other that if I came, come again, I will not spare. Paul told the Corinthians uh, that he would exercise what we call procedural fairness according to the principles of the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law said that no matter should be accepted except in the, the hearing of two or three witnesses. And so when Paul came and he had to deal with sin, it would be done with fairness. Now having made these remarks, Paul then went on to give his last word about the criticisms of his ministry. In fact, this was really what had motivated him to write this second epistle. Uh, there, was, there were false teachers that had come into the church. He described them um, as uh, servants of Satan, uh, ministers of unrighteousness. In chapter 11, these false teachers had come into the church and had been criticising Paul's ministry. And so he writes this epistle to answer those criticisms. And in the next few verses, he's going to give his last few words about the criticisms of his ministry. In verse 3 he says, Since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you it is not weak, but is mighty in you. He said, When I come, I will not spare, since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me. Now the key phrase here is, Since ye seek a proof. Since you seek a proof. Paul's ministry had been criticised by the false teachers who were influencing the Corinthian church. Uh, they had attacked his physical appearance. They said, well, he's just a... When he, when, he, when he sort of comes here in person, he's not very very impressive. They thought that he was weak in physical present, presence and he was unimpressive. And uh, they had questioned his gospel and they had questioned whether he was a genuine apostle of Jesus Christ. And it's clear from uh, what we read here that some, at least in Corinth, had fallen for these lies of the false teachers. They sought proof that he was a genuine apostle. And that's despite what he had just written in chapter 12. If you remember back there, chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. Chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. He said, I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me. For I ought to have been commended of you. You should be commending me. You should be telling people about me. For in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders, and in mighty deeds. Now I am bemused after reading this that the Corinthians still wanted proof of Paul's apostleship. Uh, he had... Uh, all of the qualities of an apostle uh, to prove that he was a true apostle of Jesus Christ. What more could he have done? But <laughs> if they wanted further proof that he was the genuine article, in chapter 13, <laughs> he went on to give what I call two more proofs, two more proofs of his apostleship. Now, before we look at the two proofs, I want to give a little Greek lesson. Okay, so don't go to sleep. A little Greek lesson, because uh, I think it'll help us understand the passage, verses 3 to 6, or 3 to 7, really. In the, these, uh, these verses, 
Paul uses four different parts of the same Greek word. That's a bit like English, but in Greek you have the, the root of the word, the root meaning, and they add bits and pieces in the beginning or the end to make a noun or a verb or an adjective, whatever. And Paul uses four different parts of the same Greek word to get his point across in verses 3 to 7. In verse 3, if you'll notice, uh, since you seek a proof, this is the word dokime, and it means uh, evidence sufficient to establish a thing as true, proof, dokime. Verse 5, you'll see, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith, prove, there it is, prove, dokimezo, and that means to test if something is genuine, dokimezo. And then in verse 5, again at the bottom of verse 5, the last word, reprobates, lest you be reprobates. This is the word a dokimos. It's just simply the opposite of dokimos, uh, uh, which is to be approved. In, um, in, in English, we put some prefixes on words. We might say he's repentant or unrepentant. Uh, this is reversible or irreversible, advantage or disadvantage. Well, in Greek, they just put one letter, A, a letter alpha, at the beginning of a noun, and it gives you the opposite of the thing. And that's all this is. It's the word dokimos, doki, with an A in front of it. So simply, the opposite of being approved. Reprobate simply means the opposite of being approved or simply not approved. And then in verse 7, he has... The word approve. Now I pray to God that you do no evil and that you, do, you should appear approved, dokimos. You should appear accepted uh, as if you've passed the test. And so in verse 3 we have dokime. In verse 5 we have proved, dokimezo. In verse 5 we also have reprobate, ah, dokimos. And then in verse 7 we have approved, which is dokimos. So they're all the doki words. Okay? Now... I've been inspired by Mr. Benicky, and so I, I th th thought that I would give an illustration today of what this docky means to be approved. Now, I have here two $20 notes. One is real, <laughs> and the other one I made of my computer. Okay? And I'm going to ask Josiah to come, because uh, he knows money, he's from a rich family. This is nothing to him. I'm going to ask him to prove which one is the real and which one is the fake. So can you look at both of those? You look them over, brother. Just have a real good look at them. Test them out. Look them over in the light. See, you already know, do you? Uh, so which one is the fake? This one. this one. Okay, that's pretty obvious. Okay, that one is the... Okay, so let me ask you. Which one would you like? That one. <laughs> I might share, give you an ice cream later. Okay. <laughs> I'm not a rich builder. I'm just a poor pastor. <laughs> so my fake money doesn't pass the test. It's not approved. It's reprobate money. And the Bible actually uses the word castaway. It translates this word, adokimos, as castaway. It's not approved. It's not the genuine article. This real money, it does pass the test. It is approved. It's genuine. And this is the one Josiah's not allowed to keep. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the root warning of the docky words that Paul uses here. It means something that has been put to the test and has been approved as genuine or not approved 
and shown to be a fake, which in the Bible uses the word reprobate here, not approved. It's been put to the test. It's been either found to be real or to be a fake. And so, was Paul a true, was he a genuine apostle or was he a fake or a reprobate? Well, um, how could he prove to these crazy Corinthians <laughs> that he was the real deal? Well, he gives two proofs, I believe, in these few verses. Let me see if I can prove it to you that that's what he's doing. Proof no number one is in verses three and four. Proof number one is his apostolic power, his apostolic power. Let me read these verses again. He said, when I come, if I come, I will not spare, since you seek a proof of Christ, speaking in me, which to you it is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Now when Paul says here, uh, uh, which is, in verse 3, which to you would is not weak but mighty in you. That which is referring to Christ. He was the one who was not weak but was mighty in them. Now, sure, he went on to say he was crucified uh, through weakness. He was the one who was not weak but was mighty at them, even though he was crucified in weakness, or so it appeared. He allowed those enemies uh, to prevail over him, didn't he? He allowed the Roman soldiers to, to whip him with their cat of nine tails. Uh, he didn't call those legions of angels to, to whisk him away from the danger. And at Calvary, he surrendered to his captors and he, he allowed them to drive those nails into his hands and feet. And so, yes, he was crucified through weakness. The Greeks and the Romans didn't, uh, couldn't understand following a God who could be killed. What kind of God is that? Well, well, he is the kind of God who loved his lost creation so much he was willing to go to that extent to save their wretched souls. None of the self-serving Roman or Greek gods would ever do that. <laughs> that is, if they were real, of course, which they weren't. Their gods were not real and they were capricious gods. They were self-serving. They would never have gone to this extent for their creation. Sure, Jesus was crucified in weakness, but that was his plan all along. That's what he had to do to be our sin bearer. But though he was crucified in weakness and they laid his bruised and battered body in the tomb, on the third day, that body came alive uh, through the power of God. He, he, he became alive through the power of God. And since that resurrection day, he is still living by the power of God, seated at the right hand of the Father. And this power, this power that enabled the Lord Jesus to rise from the dead, this power that by which he still lives today, it's a power that Paul reminded the Corinthians here, had been mighty, had been powerful in them. The, the, the power of Christ had been mighty in them. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, just to show a few ways that the power of Christ had been mighty in them. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11.
Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Their new standing, these, these terrible, wicked people had a new standing before God and it was through the power of, of Christ in saving them. He was mighty in them to save. He was mighty in them. Though he was crucified in weakness, he was mighty in them to save them. Have a look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. Just flip back a few more chapters. Verse 4. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Christ Jesus, that in everything ye are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Corinthians had, had received amazing spiritual gifts through the power of Christ. Christ had not been weak to them or in them, but it was mighty in them. Well... Going back to 2 Corinthians 13, this is Paul's point. Just like the Lord Jesus, Paul went on to say in chapter 13, 2 Corinthians 13, 4, he said, For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Just like Christ was mighty in you, even though he was crucified in weakness, uh, we through uh, we are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Now we know when Jesus came, he didn't come as a king to judge and punish. Instead, he came as a saviour. He came as a disciple maker. And his, his enemies underestimated him. They thought the Lord Jesus was weak. But even coming as a saviour, at times he demonstrated his power, didn't he? Uh, the most obvious times were when he did his miracles, amazing miracles. But there were times when his power showed in other ways. Twice, at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry, twice, single-handedly, he cleared out the temple of all those trading and making money. He upturned the tables and he drove them out of the temple. He rebuked Peter, remember, by telling him, get thee behind me, Satan. He read the minds of his enemies and evaded them at will. And even when the mob came to take him, take him, remember, at the Garden of Gethsemane, that mob came up and there he stood before them and Jesus met them and at his word, John says, they went backward and fell to the ground. Just at his word. In seeming weakness, Jesus of Nazareth displayed the power of God. And here is Paul's first proof that he was a genuine apostle. The Corinthians thought he was weak. He was weak in the flesh and he admitted it. He was. But just like Christ, because Paul lived in the life of Christ, he could display the power of God in his weakness. In verse 2 he said threateningly, 2 Corinthians 13, 2, I, when I come, if I come, I will not spare. 
He would wield the rod with the power of God and that would surely prove that he was. You see, you seek a proof of me in Christ? Well, listen, I'll come and I won't spare and surely then you'll know that I am a true apostle. Now, the word that Paul uses for power right through this passage is the word dunamis. It's the dynamite of God. And so Paul says, uh, you know, when I come, I'm going to, in my weakness, I'm going I'm to show you the power, the dunamis, the dynamite of God. So I don't know what he had in his mind. <laughs> like Jesus, he may have had to turn over some tables in Corinth. He may have had to rebuke some church members. He may have had to face off with those false apostles. He may have had to make someone blind like he did to bar Jesus at Cyprus. There was power that Paul could exercise as an apostle. But whatever he had in his mind, if they were seeking a proof that Christ was speaking in him, they would have no doubt when he came. That was the first proof that he was an approved apostle because he was going to wield apostolic power. No softly, softly anymore. The second proof is he gives this, that their own standing in Christ was a proof. Uh, in verse 5, Paul told them to, went on to tell them to examine themselves. Verse 5, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you're not that your own selves... Sorry, know ye not your own selves, how that Christ, uh, Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. Now this is the word, the proved word, prove here is our word, doc, adoxy, doximadzo. And it means to test or examine, to scrutinise, to see whether a thing is genuine or not. And Paul told them to examine themselves, to scrutinise their own selves and decide if they were genuinely in the faith. You guys... Examine yourselves, prove yourselves whether Christ is in you. Examine yourselves whether ye are in the faith. Test yourselves and decide if Christ is in you. And he added there, know ye not your own selves? Don't you know yourselves that Christ is in you? He's actually telling them you should know that Christ is in you. If, and then he went on to say, except you be reprobates. He said, if you don't have that knowledge that Christ is in you, if you don't have that assurance, then you are reprobates. Ah, Daclimos, unapproved. You're not genuine Christians. So why did Paul say this? Well, Paul was sure that they did know that Christ was in them. And he was counting on them having that assurance. Because, you see, if they admitted that Christ was in them... If they admitted that they were in the faith, then that would be proof that his ministry was approved, that his gospel was genuine. Because he was the one who had preached the gospel to them. He was the one who had led them to Christ. He was the father of their faith. So if he was a fake, his enemies, uh, if he was the fake that his enemies were claiming that he was, then the Corinthians' faith was also false. If I'm a fake, if my gospel's not true, then you're... Uh, a salvation, your standing is not true either. If he wasn't a genuine apostle and his gospel was false, then the Corinthians were not in the faith and Christ wasn't in them. And so he urged them to examine their own hearts, to prove their own selves, because he was sure they knew 
they were truly saved. Their faith in Christ was proof that he was genuine and his gospel was true. That's his second proof. You are my proof. The fact that you are know that you are in Christ. And if they did examine themselves and acknowledge they were saved, then Paul hoped they would also realise that he was not a reprobate after all. He wasn't the fake, the false teachers claimed he was. And that's what I think he means by verse 6. But I trust that you shall know that we are not reprobates. We are not unapproved. Now that word there, shall know, I think, but I trust that ye shall. Ye shall is the future tense. But I trust that ye shall, ye will, know that we are not reprobates. After examining yourselves and proving your own selves to be in the faith, Paul trusted, he hoped, that they would then conclude that he was a true apostle. He was the one that brought this gospel to them. He was the one who placed them into Christ. Therefore, he must be not a reprobate, but he must be a true apostle. They sought a proof of Christ speaking in them. They were his proof. After proving themselves, he trusted that they would know that he also was not a reprobate. And so they sought a proof of Christ speaking in them. Two proofs. First, his apostolic power. And secondly, their standing in Christ. And that was the ending of Paul's answer to his critics which is uh, where I want to finish today, but I want to uh, finish by giving a challenge. If you, let me ask you, if you examine yourself, if you prove your own self, are you in the faith? Would you come to the conclusion that yes, I am saved? Yes, Christ does dwell in me. Are you in the faith? Does Christ live in you? Uh, you know, some people can be like my fake $20. Uh, they can look like the real thing, but they're really not truly saved. They profess to know Christ, but they're not in possession of Christ. Christ doesn't live in them. You know, you're either one or the other. If you're coming to church, <laughs> uh, you're not like the unsaved out there who don't claim to be Christians, but if you're coming to church and you claim to be a Christian... You're either a fake or you're the real thing. You're either a genuine Christian or you're not a Christian. Christ does dwell in you or he doesn't dwell in you. Why don't you ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart, ask the Holy Spirit to prove to you whether you're in the faith or not, whether Christ is in you or not. And if you're not sure, then why not make sure? Why not make sure? Be the real thing. Be a real Christian by receiving Christ as your saviour. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Paul, Apostle Paul's patience, Lord, with these Corinthians. We thank you even after all the things they'd seen and all the things he'd done, they still sought proof. We thank you that he was patient enough, Lord, to just once again show his credentials. And I pray that we would also be patient, Lord, with people that we would, Lord, be willing to go the extra mile to, to, to bring them to the right ground, to, that they might know what is true and right. Father, I don't know the hearts of the people here, 
but perhaps there's someone or some others, more than one. Uh, Lord, they know that uh, they're not truly saved. They know that Christ doesn't dwell in them. They might be coming to church to please someone. Uh, they might, uh, Lord, be trying to be a Christian in their own strength. But Father, if they're not sure, I pray that your Holy Spirit right now would be convicting and convincing them of how they of their need to call upon you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would do that work. And in his name we pray. Amen.